0: You know, it's times like this where you wonder, like, how did Jesus do it? Without the lights and the electricity, how did he, how did he do it? And uh, a little bit later in this passage, providentially, he talks about worship, Jesus does. And he talks about worshiping in, in spirit and in truth. And, and I think he left power and lights and uh, buildings and A.C. off for a reason. And that's because it's nice to have, but it's not a necessity. Amen. So we can worship Jesus in spirit and truth even as we get into his word this morning. And by, by God's grace, we have lights. And AC is, is blowing as well. So hang in there with us. We'll skip ahead to, uh, to verse 6 as we get started to maybe make it a little shorter. I think we might have our kiddos coming in here. And so let's just embrace this together, okay? Spirit and truth. So here's what we're doing today. Uh, we're looking at our Broken People Big God series looking at the woman at the well. And uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been in Adam and Eve's life, uh, the first week, last week, Jacob's life. Uh, Today is the woman at the well in John 4. Again, if you uh, don't have a Bible, grab one near you. There should be a black hard one right near you. Open it up to John 4 and follow along with us. But as you listened as as Ron read, uh, one of the things that you'll notice is this woman at the well is a great example of this series, that she's a broken person. Uh, you see in there, if you listen to Ron Reed, just that she's got five husbands. Um, there's a lot of things going on there. And sometimes what we can do with a passage like this in Scripture is we can put ourselves in the place of Jesus. Here, here's what I mean by that. We can, in a passage like this, we can read it and teach it and talk about it with lenses on of, of Jesus. Like, okay, I'm Jesus, and, and how would I reach out to a woman like this if I encountered her at a well like this or at another place like this? And and the problem with that, not, not necessarily wrong, but the problem with when, when we do that is we miss a big chunk of this story. You see, because the reality is, as we look at a passage like this, is we're less like Jesus and more like the woman. All of us, right? Now, you may not have... Five husbands, uh, but you got different issues. I have different issues. So, so we all walk in here with, with different brokenness, just like this woman. And so, really, we need to put the lens on of, of the woman. And it's not so that you can be guilt ridden or, or shame shamed as you come to church this morning. You're like, Tim, it's already hot. Like, I don't need to think about hell. <laughs> I'm okay. Like, I don't need to feel more guilty than I already do. And listen, the point is not to make you feel guilty like. The woman. The point is that you would experience life change like the woman. Do you see it? The point is that you would encounter Jesus with all your brokenness, all your sin, and all your lust, and all your greed, and all your gossip, that you would bring that to the table this morning, and that Jesus Christ would encounter you at the well, and that you would be changed by him. That, that's what we're after. This morning, As we look at our text, and again, as we skip down to around verse 6, let me just give you some of the setting. We're at Jacob's well. Uh, Jacob is mentioned several times in this passage, and, and really this place, we see it in the text, so all you have to do is read the text. We see this is the place, a plot of land that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And so if you are with us last week, we talked extensively about the life of Joseph. We didn't plan it this way uh, to have this follow-up, but it, but it gives us some context for where we are. Uh, if you go back and look at Genesis, this place that this setting is in is mentioned several times. Jacob built an altar in this place. Joseph ends up being buried his son in this place. And, and here's what that tells us. As this Samaritan woman who is broken meets with Jesus she would have had some idea about religion and faith. She would have had some idea about about theology and and what to believe about God. She had some idea, and we see that a little bit later in the passage, as she begins to debate uh, locations of worship. And so she knows a little bit about faith, but it hasn't taken root in her life. It hasn't changed her life. And Jesus, as he enters this scene, he begins to hit that head on. And as Jesus enters our scene this morning, maybe some of you have an idea about God. Maybe you've heard things about God. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you haven't grown up in church, but you hear maybe what God is like or what the Bible is like. And you show up this morning and Jesus wants to hit that head on and say, unless it's taken up root in your life, unless it's changed you, then we're missing the boat. And so Jesus is gonna engage this woman in a profound way, and the way he does that is asking her for a drink of water. And you think, well, Tim, why is that significant? Well, there's more going on here than a drink of water, right? As you look at this passage, you see, one, this is a woman that Jesus is talking to. In our day, that's not a big deal. In this day, in this culture, again, not prescribed by the Bible, but purely in the culture and tradition, Teachers, rabbis like Jesus, they didn't talk to women in public. Sometimes they didn't even talk to their own wives in public because that was the cultural norm. It's not right. That was the cultural norm. And what I love about Jesus is he breaks right through that cultural norm. If you look at the text with me, We'll see a little uh, parenthetical part that talks about the disciples had gone in to get something to eat for lunch. So the disciples aren't here. Jesus is by himself. Now, I don't know why it takes 12 guys to get lunch, but maybe if you've been to the grocery store, you can relate to that. Seems like a one-man job, right? Seems like maybe the disciples are like, you're going to go to Samaria. You're going to go see this woman at the well. Like, maybe we're going to go get lunch. And Jesus is by himself. And he begins to engage this woman. And right there, just by engaging this woman, asking her for a drink, Jesus breaks through a cultural norm. Don't you just love that about Jesus? Like tradition, culture, social norms, and then Jesus. He's God over all of that. So he breaks right through that to get to her heart. And that's a big deal because this isn't just a woman. This is a Samaritan woman. Now, why do we know that's a big deal? Listen, this is really important. I don't have some secret sauce and some commentaries I read. You can just read the text. All right, look at it with me. Verse nine, this is a big deal because the woman, you see her response. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John helps us out. He says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. John makes this note because there is a big divide a deeply rooted divide between Jews and Samaritans. And it didn't just start recently. It goes back about 1,000 years when the, the country of Assyria takes over the northern part of Israel, and they move in. And as they move in, the Jewish people, they don't stay faithful uh, to their God. They begin to worship other gods, and they intermarry, and they mix pagan uh, parts of their culture and all of that. And the Samaritans come out of this. So if you were a Jew in that day, again, you have to imagine you would have seen these people as complete outsiders and compromisers of their faith. And they have ascribed to the cultural norm of, well, we'll just go around the Samaritans. We'll just avoid those people because they make us feel uncomfortable. And again, what I love about Jesus is he says, no, the disciples are like, we're going to take a left. He takes a right. Right. Like, we're going to go around Samaria. Jesus goes through Samaria. And and as you look at that, as we follow Jesus, we go through Samaria, right? So whatever cultural norms in our day of race, ethnicity, uh, political parties that as followers of Jesus, we don't just ascribe to those and think, yeah, we'll just, we'll just go around that because that gets pretty controversial and I don't like to deal with that. And if somebody it looks different than me or, or believes different than me, then I'm not going to talk to them. and I'm going to st- stay away from them. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we don't do that. Like by the power of Jesus, by his example in our lives, we break through those social norms as well. And so one of our values as a church is that we uphold truth, but we engage culture. We don't immerse in it. We don't step all the way into it, but we engage it. Because there's people like the woman at the well. There's people like us who were once at the woman at the the well who need to hear about Jesus. And so Jesus breaks through all these cultural norms and goes to talk to this woman. He asks her, for a drink because he wants to get to her heart. Now, as I read this, maybe you read this, you have to ask a question like, was Jesus really thirsty? Like, was Jesus really thirsty or was this some ploy? Well, what we know about Jesus is that he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And so I think he probably was thirsty. He's been traveling on a journey. Uh, He's been raising up disciples. He's been teaching and doing all sorts of ministry. So I imagine Jesus is fully man part of him was actually thirsty. So I think he genuinely probably wanted a drink. Now, could he have gotten it himself? Yeah. John 2. We're in John 4. Go back to John 2. Jesus turns water into what? Wine. So I think Jesus could have managed to drink water as is, right? Right? So so why does he ask the woman? Well, he's engaging this this woman, this Samaritan woman. He's breaking through cultural norms as he asks for a drink of water. Don't you love Jesus? This is what Jesus does, This should encourage you this morning. This should give you a cool, refreshing blow to your face. This should sprinkle some water on you right now that wherever you are this morning, whatever kind of brokenness that you are walking in or have walked in in your past, That you walk in here this morning, you think, man, I don't know if I belong here, Tim. I mean, the rest of these people, I mean, they look nice. I mean, they look like they have it together. Like, I don't know if I belong here. People realized who I was and what I've done and my background and what I've been born into and my family. Like, maybe I shouldn't be here. And listen, you need to know Jesus is coming for you. Jesus is coming precisely for you, and he doesn't just go through Samaria. He comes down from heaven to come after you in your background, your nationality, your family, your past sin. He's coming for you. This is what he does. He breaks through cultural norms. He pursues the broken. He engages the outsiders. And that's what he does with this woman, and that's what he does with you and I. This is a well. We're all meeting at it. We're all this woman in some sort of way at a heart level, and Jesus wants to engage. He wants to come get you. And as we continue to look at this, we see how he does that. Look at verse 10 with me. Uh, Jesus says, If you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. You see, Jesus knows who this woman is. He's not shocked by who she is. Jesus doesn't walk up to this well and engage her, and she says, well, why would you engage me? I'm Samaritan, you're Jewish. Jesus doesn't hear that and think, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Wrong well. I I was supposed to go to the other well where all the Jewish people were. Like I didn't realize, sorry, have a good day, bye, see you later. Jesus doesn't do that because he's not shocked by who she is. He knows, we're going to see in a minute, he knows a lot about her life. And Jesus isn't shocked by you either. No, he engages you. He's at the right well. He's talking to the right person. And he knows who you are. You need to know who he is. He knows who the Samaritan woman is. She needs to know who he is. And that's what begins to develop as we continue Look at verse 11 with me. Jesus offers her living water. We're going to get into what that means. Verse 11, the woman's confused. What is this living water? She says, you don't have a jar. You don't have a cup. You don't have anything to get water out of this well. It's pretty deep. How's that going to work? Are you, are you more powerful than Jacob? How are you going to get water without a glass? And Jesus begins to explain to her, again, who he is By using this analogy of water, he talks about water versus living water. That water, you'll get thirsty again. You draw this water just like you do every day, you're going to get thirsty again. But there's a living water that I provide that it will be like, look at the text, it will be like a spring welling up to eternal life. And if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. Yesterday afternoon, it was a little warm outside, It's a Phoenix joke. Uh, And on these warm, hot days in Phoenix, specifically on a Saturday when the kids are home all day, there's a few options at our house. I'm sure there's a few options at your house. One of the options for us is to get a little plastic pool and fill it with water and put toys in there and maybe put bubbles in there, and the kids get in there, and they just play, and they get wet. And it's, it's entertaining for them. It's entertaining for us. And, uh, and, and it keeps them cool for a little while. But the problem with the plastic pool is that water eventually splashes out or it gets hot, right, in Phoenix. Amen? So the problem with the plastic pool is that, so eventually we have to shed the plastic pool and we get something. It's a great invention called the slip and slide. And the reason the slip and slide is so great on a hot summer day in Phoenix is because it runs continuously, right? Right? You, you hook it up to a hose, and it pumps water in the slip and slide, and it squirts water out, and it begins to make a pool itself, and it just keeps going and going and going like a never-ending spring. Now, our kids don't understand water bills yet, so to them, it actually seems like a never-ending spring, right? They think, this is great. It's just going to keep flowing and flowing and flowing, In fact, at one point, my wife and I were talking. I mean, we were doing the whole thing, like Superman dives in the slip and slide and throwing our kids down. And we were just maximizing maximizing the whole time. But my wife were over on the side talking for a little bit. And we looked over, and both of my kids, my older kids, were bent over on the slip and slide. And it's shooting out water continuously, and they're just drinking it. And it's just covering their faces. I think we have a picture of that. Yeah, And they did that for like a good few minutes before we stopped them and came over and said, hey guys, let's drink some water inside and not this water from the faucet. But this is kind of what Jesus is showing us, this analogy, this illustration of what would it be like to have a spring of water that never ended, that went on for eternity. That's that's living water, that this water, you'll drink it, you'll be thirsty again, you'll come back tomorrow but there's a different kind of water. There's a water that doesn't just quench your thirst, there's a water that quenches your soul and it does so for eternity. There's a water that satisfies you at a heart level that if you'll drink of it, if you'll drink of me, it'll give you new life. And so Jesus uses this analogy of water, one that we can all relate to, to point to who he is, the life he gives, the soul he satisfies, what he has to offer that our world does not. And listen, while we may not uh, go to a well for water today, we go to a lot of other wells that maybe even aren't bad, right? You look at this, Water is a good thing, right? It hydrates you, it keeps you clean with showers, it does all these sorts of beneficial things to your body. You need water. But, But for a lot of us, we're going to different water wells in our lives instead of the living water. And so some of us, we do. We go to nutrition and exercise and, and eating healthier. And we think, I mean, I have all this brokenness that I'm bringing to the table, and, and, and I need something good in my life. And so, and maybe for some of you, you need to drink more water because soda doesn't count. I know it's part water, but it doesn't, it doesn't count. It's not the same thing. Some of you need to drink more water. You need to eat some vegetables, eat a green bean every once in a while. You need to take care of yourself, right? So that's a good thing, nutrition. There's other things like a parenting strategy. Some of you who have kids and you don't have a a philosophy of like, hey, how are we going to parent? Are we going to be on the same page as husband and wife? That's a good well to go to. You need to be on the same page as parents. You need to parent with intentionality. You need to have a strategy. Again, that's a good thing. Some of us go to the well of a schedule change, which is think, Man, Tim, we went through a rest series a few weeks ago. If I could just change my schedule, I mean, that would fix some of my brokenness. And that's a good thing. Maybe you need a schedule change. Maybe you need a different job. Maybe you need a pay increase. Listen, all these are good things, but ultimately, they're not what we really need. Ultimately, they're just like drawing water, regular water from a well that will make us thirsty again. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but in a few months, in a few years, those wells will dry up as great of a parenting strategy as you can find. As big of a raise as you can find. Those wells will dry up. The well that Jesus offers, the living water that Jesus offers, it will never run dry. You see, Water is good. The woman needed some water, but ultimately she needed surgery. Water is a good thing, but ultimately she didn't just need to hydrate. She needed surgery. She needed something dug up in her life. And that's what Jesus begins to do. Look at verse 16 with me. Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, I know. You've had five. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband. And some of us as we look at that that may seem a little rude, right? Like Jesus, I think she was trying to lay low, you just put her on blast. Like why would you do that? I mean you got five husbands, the one you're with now, he's not your husband. Seems a little rude, doesn't it? Well, as we look at this, we we know that She would have taken offense to this. She would have been a little bit shocked by this because verse six, earlier in the passage, tells us she went to this well at the sixth hour. Now, that meant noon in this culture. And so middle of the day, think Middle East, think Arizona, desert. At noon, this woman is out getting water. Now, that's not something you did. Just like in our day, we're hiding inside at noon. We're not out doing things. And it was the same thing for the woman. This woman knew she could lay low by going to the well at noon, that nobody would be there, that most people would go in the morning, she goes at noon because she's trying to lay low. She doesn't want people to find out about her past. She's not proud of that. And Jesus begins to draw that out. She goes another step. She goes by herself. Typically, a woman would have gone with other women to the well. Maybe you've seen pictures of this. If you've been to the Middle East, maybe you've seen this in person. You see women walking with big pots on their head from a well with water. They're always together. But this woman goes at noon. She goes by herself. Why does she do that? She's trying to lay low. She wants to isolate. She doesn't want people to know this. And so Jesus, again, just breaks through stuff. And he says, I know who you are. I know what you think you need. You, you have a need for relationships, you're trying to satisfy it in all the wrong places with just sexual relationship after sexual relationship. In fact, you're doing that now. Now, is that rude? Is that rude to take someone who is walking in brokenness to a well day after day that will never satisfy? Is that rude? Is that mean? Is that cruel? Or is it the most gracious thing that Jesus could have ever done? is the most gracious thing that Jesus could have done is dig up that brokenness, is bring it to light and bring it to the surface. Why? So that she could actually experience healing from it. You see, as we look at this, Jesus is gracious. Jesus is loving He goes through Samaria. He goes straight to this well to engage this woman, to dig up her brokenness. She didn't need water. She needed surgery. Because day after day, what this woman is doing, what many of us do, is we try to put a Band-Aid on a tumor. Now, what good does a Band-Aid do for a tumor? Nothing, right? What do you need to do for a tumor? You gotta cut it out. And if you don't cut it out, it spreads. And if you don't cut it out, it spreads and it eventually takes your life. And so God in his love and his graciousness shows up on the scene and he says, we're not gonna just put a bandaid on this. I'm not gonna let you go to this well and go home like you do every day and continue this cycle of shame. I'm gonna bring this to the surface because I love you. Because as we dig this up in your life, as painful as it might be, you're eventually going to experience healing in this because I'm gonna show you that what you think you need is not what you ultimately need, that there's something greater. And so Jesus begins to do that with this woman. You see, the reality is many times in our sin, we're pursuing something that we think we need, right? We're pursuing something we think we need, like the lust, the gossip, the manipulation, the control. We don't start out doing those things, listen, We don't start out doing those things because we think this will destroy me and this will destroy everyone around me. That's not how it starts out, right? No, it starts out with man, this this pride, it it feels good. I mean, it seems like I I get my way. It's what I I think I need to excel in my job or in relationships. I think I, I need this. I mean, this lust, this adultery, I mean, I, th- I think I, I need this. I mean, it seems like a good thing. It seems like it's going to bring satisfaction. I think I, I need this. This gossip, I mean, I just want to be honest with people. I mean, I just, that's a good thing, right? I just got to tell people what I think, and even if they're not there, I mean, that's okay, right? I mean, I think I need this, and other people need this. You see, many times in our brokenness, we're pursuing what we think we need. And so if it's, if it's water, maybe it's a good thing. Or if it's sin, if it's five husbands, we think we need it. And Jesus loves you enough. Listen, Jesus loves you enough to dig that out and to say, you think you need this. I'm going to show you what you actually need. But first, go get your husbands. Right, go get your husband. First, go get your lust. First, go get your pride. Go get your gossip. Go get all of your idols, and you bring them to me. We're going to dig them up, and we're going to replace it with what you ultimately need. And that's what Jesus begins to do. As he rips out this, this brokenness, he begins to give her what she ultimately needs. We see that in verse 19. She says, you must be a prophet. She's like, how do you know this? I haven't told you. How do you know all this? Again, she's beginning to understand a little bit more of who Jesus is, but that's uncomfortable. This isn't pleasant to have surgery on our brokenness, is it? And so, just like one of us would do, she begins to shift the conversation. She starts to talk about the appropriate location for worship. Remember, she has some idea about worship and theology and religion. She knows a little bit about that, so she begins to debate with Jesus. Where should we worship? Should we worship on this mountain that was Mount Gerizim? That's the Samaritan place of worship. Should we worship here where the Samaritans worship? Or should we worship in Jerusalem where the Jewish people worship? Jesus, what do you think? Now remember, just imagine this scene. Jesus has just called her on her brokenness, just dug these painful things up. And she's like, Jesus, where, where are we going to worship this Sunday? It would be like this week in your life. Somebody asks you about some really painful things in your life, some needs you have, some sins in your life. And you're like, you know, um, what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> I mean, are you going to church this weekend? And you're like, oh, we were just talking about your sin. I don't see how that has anything to do with this, this weekend. That's what this woman is doing. She knows enough about theology, about faith, about religion, that she can shift the conversation, and we do too. We know enough. We've been around the church enough. We, we can spitball a conversation about the Bible, about church, about secondary theologies. We, we can shift the conversation in our community groups and in our, in our one-on-ones with people. We can just deflect to other things because we know enough, right? We can talk about worship style and Hillsong versus hymns and we can talk about preaching styles and we can talk about the AC, man, it was hot today. I mean, did you feel that? Were you waving the fan just like I was? And we can get away from our brokenness because it's uncomfortable. Because as much as we actually need that surgery that's gonna lift that out of us and take it out and put in what we actually need, this living water, as much as we need that, we don't like that, right? It's uncomfortable. And so we're just like the woman, not too different at all. But Jesus doesn't take her bait. He brings it quickly back to Relationship. Verse 23, look at that verse. It says, The hour is coming and is now here. What's now here? Jesus. The hour is coming and is now here. Jesus has shown up on the scene. The Son of God is here. And so before worship was about a place, now it's about a person. That Jesus changes everything. And so she shifts the conversation to worship. He begins again to draw it back to who he is. This relationship, this living water, who he is that she is talking to and what she ultimately needs. And he begins to talk about twice. He says, Now we worship in spirit and truth. So we worship in spirit. We realize that we have a spiritual being within us, that we're not just a body with a soul, we're a soul with a body. So we worship in spirit. It's less about a place, it's more about a person. And he says we worship in truth, so we allow God's word to define our reality. We worship out of spirit, we worship out of truth. Now some of you are are listening to this and if you're catching on at all, you might think, Tim, is this a separate sermon? (laughs) I mean, did Jesus just get ADD and just forget what they were talking about? I mean, why are we talking about worship and, and spirit and truth? She just said she has, or you just said, she has five husbands. Why are you talking about worship? What does that have to do with anything? Listen, in her life and in your life, worship has everything to do with everything. That all of the issues she had, that all of her brokenness, all the way she was trying to fix it, all the things she thought she needed, that it was all at its core a worship issue. You see, she was going to the well, some good things. She was going to these husbands, some, some bad things. But they were all a part of her worship. Like, these things would fulfill me. This isolation would protect me. You see, everything is a worship issue. Because if we don't worship the one true God in spirit and in truth, we'll worship other lowercase g gods. We'll worship our isolation. We'll think, if I just stay By myself, I can't get hurt. We'll worship that. We'll worship our sex. We'll worship our lust. We'll worship our pride, our gossip. We'll worship our religion. We'll worship on what place we do what and what ritual we should do and what uh, external things we can put on to feel better about ourselves. If we don't worship the one true God in spirit and in truth, we'll worship other lowercase little g gods. And so Jesus says, You want to talk about worship? That's great. You actually made the transition well for me. Because that's exactly the issue. Who are you worshiping? How are you worshiping? It's the issue for us today that we get to worship the one true God, that we have the opportunity not to go to the lowercase g gods that will never satisfy, not continue this cycle of, of surface level fixes. Of momentary satisfaction of shame that we have the opportunity that as Jesus begins to dig this up this brokenness in her and in us we have the opportunity for that cycle to be done away with that you don't have to be in that cycle of surface level fixes momentary satisfaction shame that she doesn't that you don't that you can worship the one true God how Because the hour is coming, and it's now here, that Jesus Christ, through his person and his work, his life, his death, that he paves the way for you to worship God. He talks about God as as father. In this day, that was a scandalous thing to say. If you look at the Old Testament, again, this, this Samaritan woman, typically Samaritans knew the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew the Pentateuch what we studied a few weeks ago. She knew some about God. She knows the location. She knows this is Jacob's well. She knows some of those things. And so she, said she had some orientation. But Jesus is saying, hey, hey I'm now here. Don't miss that. I- I'm here, God in the flesh. Now you can worship me. And you don't have to go to all these other things anymore. And so it it exactly is an issue of worship. This isn't a separate issue, and it happens through Jesus. And that's the last part. Verse 25, look at that verse. It says this, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. In verse 26, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Boom, right? I mean, could you just see her face? She's slowly beginning to learn about who Jesus is. And then in this moment, she says, I I know, I think there's a guy coming like that. I think I've I've heard about a Messiah. And Jesus says, I who speak to you, am he. This is that moment as you look at her face of realizing, oh, I I didn't realize. Oh yeah, I guess that's how you knew about the husbands. And it all starts to, to come together for her. It's like that moment in Batman when some people are like, we need to help somebody. Something needs to happen. Where's Batman? Let's shine the light. And Bruce Wayne shows up and he says, I'm Batman. That's what I think of when I read this. I don't know what you think of. But it's that kind of moment of just boom. Like it's not, uh, it's not a moment where she's just like, oh, okay, Jesus, the Christ, <laughs> I've never met you before. No, she knows enough. And he says, I who speak to you, I'm he. Boom. I mean, can you imagine what this lady would have been going through? Day after day, she's looking for things she thinks she needs. And in front of her face, at her well, a normal thing she does every day, a normal place she goes every day, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who has come to pave the way for our worship. She's face to face with him. You see, as we, as we look at this, you and I need to have that same encounter. Again, in some way, all of us are the woman, right? And maybe for some of you this morning, you're the woman at the well. You're at this well right now. And if you're honest with yourself in this moment, you say, Tim, I'm broken. I'm looking for some other things to fulfill me. It's not working out too well. And, and you're here this morning. You showed up here. And you're encountering Jesus. And you're trying to figure out, is what I think I need true? Is that going to fulfill me? Or is there something else? And there's a wrestle. There's a tension going on in your life. Some of you are at the well right now with your brokenness and your sin and all the good things that you're going to every day to draw from that are never going to satisfy. Some of us are that woman right now. And for you, you need to see and you need to be amazed that Jesus, the Christ, has shown up that he didn't just come through Samaria, he came down from heaven to come get you. Not just some other people, not just the people you read about on the news, not just this woman at the well with five husbands who's sleeping around, not just them, but you. You need to come to grips. I'm this woman too. Even in my self-righteousness that rebuttals at every time Tim says you're this woman and I say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not that woman, I go to church. I know the right things to do. I know the right things to say. Even that self-righteousness that wells up within you, all of us need to come to grips with, we are this woman. that We're broken, and maybe some of you walk in here, and that's where you are. And Jesus encounters you and says, you're going to worship in spirit and truth. Leave these other things behind, these little lowercase g gods, and you worship me. And you need to encounter this living water that never is quenched. Maybe for some of you, that's you today. You need to give up your sin. You need to give up your husbands. You need to bring your lust. You need to go get your gossip. You need to go get your pride. You need to bring it to Jesus so he can dig it up and heal you of that, so you can worship him. And then some of you have been at this well before. Some of you, if you're honest, you would say, Tim, I, I don't have everything together. I, I can see some of myself in this woman, but, but I know who Jesus is. And I know his person and work. And I've had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And I know what he does for my life. And I know these lowercase gods are not good. And I need to remind myself, and today was a good reminder of that. Like, I don't don't need to go back to that well. I don't need to go back to these sins. I just need to go to Jesus. I need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's that's the living water that I need. And, And thank you, Tim, for that reminder. And some of you, if you're honest, you're in that spot. You would say, hey, at one point, I, I met Jesus, and I, and I got that new life through that living water. But you need to be reminded, and that's a good thing, and I would encourage you. You need to walk confidently in what Jesus has done for you, that he has come to get you in your brokenness. You need to walk confidently in that. You need to not go to those other little lowercase g gods and those other wells. You need to go to God. I hope that does that for you today, but you don't need to stop there. That the reality is that a lot of us who have been to that well before, we've seen Jesus, he's changed us, and we need to be reminded to walk in him. That's not just for you. That's for other people. That as we continue to read in this passage, it says in the next few verses, the woman goes back to her village. And she begins to talk to family members and friends, and she tells them everything she has seen and heard. And later in verse 39 It tells us because of this woman's testimony, this woman at the well with five husbands who has isolated her whole life, she begins to talk about Jesus and glow about Jesus. Hey, this Christ we've been hearing about, he's here. And she begins to tell everybody, and it says many more in that village came to know Jesus and were saved. In fact, many later came and and hung out with Jesus because they wanted to see it for themselves. You see, some of you have had that encounter at the well, But maybe you need to walk confidently in it. Maybe that's a good thing for you. But maybe you also need to go to your village and talk to some other people who are broken, who are lonely, who are hurting, who need Jesus as well, who need that living water as well, who are going back to the same wells over and over. And you see it, don't you? I mean, you see it in our church. You see it in your family. You see it in your friends. You you see them going back to the same well over and over, going back to the same husband over and over. And you think, I wish they wouldn't go there. I mean, I wish they wouldn't do that. I mean, it's not good for them. But you never say anything. You never dig that brokenness up to then bring the worship that's available through Jesus Christ. So listen, all of us are this woman in some way, shape, or form today. Some of us are there now, and we need somebody else, another person who's experienced this Jesus to come to us and give us this living water. And that some of us just need to be reminded to walk in this living water. But some of us, we need to be the ones who say, I'm gonna go find that person in my village. I'm gonna go back to my village as I've experienced Jesus and I'm gonna bring some of that living water with me. And maybe that person's in this room who you just need to speak up and say, hey, let's not go to those wells. They're not gonna satisfy. I love you too much to let you day after day go there. Let's talk about this living water. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's worship him. Let's, let's see how we can do that together. That some of you need to be that woman. That you need to ask yourself this morning. One of the best questions you could ask after a sermon like this is, who's in my village? Right? Who's in my village? Who's in this church? Who's broken? Who's hurting? Who's lonely? Who's in my village? Who's in my, my house? Who's in my Workplace, who's broken, who's hurting, who's lonely? Who do I need to go to in my village to tell them about this Jesus that you've encountered? Who is that for you? And how can you take a step to do that today? Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for you, that you sent Jesus, not just through Samaria, but from heaven to us, and that we can worship you in spirit and truth through that. that We don't have to go to our broken wells any longer. God, I pray that that freedom... That peace, especially on a hot day in an auditorium, God, that would wash over us now. That we would begin to not think about the heat and the different things we're going to do later today. We would begin to think about the living water that we have just encountered in Jesus Christ. Help us. Help us to see you in your goodness and your love and respond to you accordingly and find others that we can help do that as well. Father, we we need your help. Uh, We desperately need it this morning, so we ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.